0: This is your host Shane with Radical Rocks. Today we're going to talk about what is Lapidary Art. Um, this is based on one of our blogs, which is located at radicalrocksusa.blogspot.com. I will leave a link in the description. We have many, many blogs there and useful information on different types of rocks and minerals, collecting spots, specialized areas, equipment, equipment tips, lapidary shop tips, um, and much, much more there. Many, 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 many hours of work gone into that for you to be able to download and appreciate and use as you see fit. So this will be kind of basic information if you're already into lapidary and um, rock hounding. Well, lapidary in particular, this will probably be um, something you're very familiar with. So let's get right into it and try to get some information out there for those that might be new into the genre. Lapidary art. Um, The article that we have uh, written here has a beautiful picture of some displayed items in a lapidary museum and a lot of them are minerals and uh, but lapidary in itself is typically not the mineral in simple terms lapidary is an art that requires working with stones it is the cutting and polishing of stones to create beautiful ornaments now the roots of lapidary art can be traced back to prehistoric times Since as early as human beings started fashioning tools and also weapons out of stone, soon people started to use the same techniques to create items for personal adornment. In fact, the earliest known lapidary work likely occurred during the Stone Age. Yet the earliest examples that were documented in history, and may be considered a form of art, included the drilling of stone and rocks as the earliest of this roots dates back millions of years, according to uh, scientists and archaeological uh, people and such as this. Which, of course, those dates are always debatable, but that's what they say. As far as civilizations go, the Egyptians were probably some of the earliest people to develop the method of cutting and carving stones for jewelry and personal adornment. Turquoise, lapis lazuli, and amethysts were some of the most common gemstones they used. Furthermore, there's been evidence of well-developed forms of lapidary arts in the India subcontinent, uh, subcontinent since early 1st millennium CE. Scriptures from Sanskrit have shown examples of gemstone carving since the 10th century as well. In fact, archaeologist Jason Hawkes and Stephanie Wayne Jones have found evidence that suggests there was an established trade of lapidary arts between Africa and India in the first millennium, as the people in the decan region of India, as well as those near the coast of Africa, had both innovated their own techniques of this art and would actually trade in exchange for other products. Lapidary art also played a significant role in Mesoamerica. Meso- These gemstones were used as status symbols, and back then were even used as offerings in burials. Most of the time, shells, turquoise, green stones, and jade were used during this era. The art has evolved over the centuries through different eras and cultures, and now the closest thing we have to it is the lapidary art. It's important to note that not only small, tiny objects are included in in lapidary arts, but also instances of Don Nateto, Mount Rushmore, or even though they are carved out of the stone, these are not necessarily qualify as lapidary art in every case. There was a rise in the demand of lapidary arts back in the mid-20th century. During this time, collecting such art became very common and a hobby in the United States. Not only would people try to get their hands on everything they could, but they would even enjoy cutting and polishing gemstones and spending time mounting these in prefabricated jewelry settings or even doing the metal work that they created themselves. And this is something that uh, a lot of us remember our grandfather or such, someone in the neighborhood, um, doing back in the day. Back in the 70s and such, it was still pretty popular. You could find someone on most every block, but now it's uh, kind of lost uh lost its luster as it was but uh, hopefully we're making a comeback right now as a matter of fact there's a famous lapidary art hobbyist from that era that we talked about the 1920s and such joseph f lazardo who spent majority of his life with these gemstones he claimed that he found lapidary art to be relaxing yet it was exciting to collect because each stone was collect now, he loved it so much that he opened the Lazaro Museum of Lapidary in 1962 to showcase his passion for the art so that the general public could enjoy it and encourage more people to engage in the hobby. And although he passed away in 1972, just 10 years after the inauguration of this museum, his legacy still lives on today. The Lazaro Museum of Lapidary is still one of the biggest displays of this art form in the world. And anyone who believes they are passionate about lapidary art should definitely put this on their bucket list and pay a visit to this museum and visit it at least once in their lifetime. A hobby that he gained an interest in while collecting stones in Upper Michigan, which was the usual family spot for him, became a legacy that will live on for a long time. And in the article, we have a picture of um, a young woman here holding some stones that look like they've been tumbled and such. Which, uh, of course, these can be used for different uh, art forms of lapidary that kind of start off at the basics. So, continuing on, a lot of uh, lapidary art clubs were formed around the country. And um, I'd say most of them still exist today. Some of them are going by the wayside, but um, a lot of them are still there. And although the trend of uh, collecting these gems here in the United States has dropped off in the past half century... Um, It still exists. Um, People like me, uh, people like a lot of our members on our Facebook group, Radical Rocks, um, are going out and actively collecting. Um, Some of us are also buying from around the world where there are some really nice gemstones to be collected and had. Now, continuing on with the article, one of the best descriptions for lapidary art was perhaps provided by June Culp-Zittner in her preference of her book, and her book was Gym and Lapidary Materials for Cutters, Collectors, and Jewelers. And she said, Lapidary as an art is ageless, classless, and without national boundaries. It is unique in many ways. It has contributed to social and religious beliefs and customs and rights and superstitions and trade. Furthermore, the expert lapidary does not necessarily have a college degree, it is not necessarily a professional cutter, and might even be self-taught. He does not have to use state-of-the-art machines. So generally speaking, the hobbyist of lapidary art is enjoyed in two main kinds of stonework, and we'll talk about those briefly. The first one is cabochon. Now the cabochon is a gemstone that is cut with a curved or dome top surface, but has a flat or Um, convex bottom and this technique is usually used on opaque patterns and uh, since the patterns and colors are best displayed on cabochon cutting. Faceted stone, that is a this is a second type, a faceted gemstone undergoes a series of cutting and carving and the end result is a stone like the typical one we see in a diamond ring with multiple flat polished surfaces and uh, this is usually used on transparent or very translucent stones since a reflection of light passing through the stone is enhanced through this faceting which helps it collect and refract more light. This causes the stone to sparkle with color and brilliance. Now there's also some basic lapidary arts. Although the techniques of lapidary have evolved and they are constantly evolving, there are four basic types of arts that have stood the test of time. Tumbling, cabbing which we talked about and faceting which we talked about and then also carving now tumbling as we mentioned earlier this is considered to be the simplest form of art but if you've ever tumbled um, different rocks it can be a real pain um, since it requires a minimal equipment just a tumbling unit which can be bought fairly affordably much more uh, less expensive than you know a big lapidary unit you can even get them at harbor freight they're kind of they don't last long but uh They could get you started and see if you like it. The only equipment you need is that tumbler. Uh, There's even stuff on the internet where you can make one yourself if you're real handy. It's just a revolving barrel that has abrasives in it. All you need to do is put the rough gem into the tumbler, the proper abrasives. You start off in different stages, um, heavier grits that cut more aggressively, and then just keep working progressively stage by stage, finer and finer until the stone becomes rounded. And finally, polished. This process is somewhat like what happens to a rock in a stream or on the beach. The difference is the tumbler is a lot more precise, and the gem obtains a higher level of polish in this process. So, if you want your family to get into gemstone carving, this could be a very fun way for kids and a very ideal way to go and cheaper to um, get the equipment. Throw the stones in, children love, um, you know. On my article here, we talk about picking up rocks from vacation and stuff or on the beaches. I would suggest you try to make sure that they are all the same hardness if you do that. Um, But sometimes those rocks that you pick up can be nice. I would suggest that you go with a group or a club and pick up some nice rocks. um, Or you can even buy tumbling rocks on many different sites. You can buy a bag of nice rocks with jaspers and agates and stuff that you can tumble and once you tumble them now these smooth stones um, you can make jewelry you can drill a hole or glue something to them and make all kinds of different jewelry necklaces and little tiny ones you could even make rings and um, keychains are very popular all sorts of things like that now cabbing those a little bit more complicated in the sense that uh, you know it takes some eye hand coordination little patience little math little geometry um you know but very very basic um, once you walk through the process, it's not too bad. You use an um, opaque stone. Typically, opaque stones are like agates and jaspers and many, many different types of stones. And You can uh, use this um, like many other people who work and make cabazons. There is a lot of jewelry that is processed through this process. and It can differ widely depending on what kind of stone or gem is used in it. This can especially be true if you find the gym yourself and then cut it using this technique. Um, that would make it a rare find and unique to you. So that makes it special. So if you're looking for a hobby that can help you maybe even earn a little extra money, cabbing a good way to go. However, the machines used for this process can be a little bit, quite a bit more expensive than a tumbler. Um, they can cost up to a thousand dollars perhaps you can get a used one much cheaper but uh, make sure you get a good one and uh, maybe we'll do a video on how to pick equipment and things like that and we'll talk about buying old equipment and using old equipment Um, but the process of learning the technique might take a little practice Um, if you're really uh, passionate and ready to invest a little time and money and watch some videos and things like that. You might be able to do it that way, but there's certainly many, many clubs. Um, if you're in the area where I'm at, uh, there's clubs here. I've even taught uh, how to make cabochons. It's very easy um, once you have a mentor to kind of walk you through the steps and show you how to do it. After that, you're often smiling. You're often laughing, as my Australian friends like to say. This hobby can be very addictive, though, so warning. Once you get the hang of it, Um, you know, time just flies by and you really get a lot of enjoyment. People see what you're doing. They see these cabochons popping off and, uh, you will be very popular. Now, faceting. Here's another one. We did talk about faceting for transparent and translucent stones. Um, you can just think of a diamond on an engagement ring. Um, that is faceting. Takes a lot more work, a lot more patience, probably would be, uh, wise to take a few classes on this. Um, Somebody who's really handy could possibly pick this up online, but I think walking through it would be of a large benefit. Um, The machines are fairly expensive. These can cost well up over $1,000 to start faceting. If you're real serious about it, um, you're going to have to invest a lot of money. Um, But if you just want to do it for fun, um, you know there are cheaper versions of the equipment that you can get. But uh, remember, you get what you pay for. The quality of the equipment is going to affect the quality of fastening because you're dealing with these little tiny stones, and um, you really need some seriously machined, fine gauged equipment like what a machinist would use when he's building these critical parts for something. You know, um, y- there's no room for uh, errors uh, that are of any measurement, really. It almost has to be almost no measurement of air. It has to be almost right on for you to really be a good faster. But bigger stones and things like this that you find, um, you know, if you're not going to do million-dollar diamonds and stuff like that, then you can probably buy some cheaper equipment. Okay, um, it's just following the steps. There's all kinds of maps and guides to show you how to do it um, step by step. But uh, you can mess up, so it does take time. Um, people who are really good at this are machinists, engineers, people who excel at math are pretty good at picking up at fastening because of the knowledge they already have mathematically. But a little practice, it won't take you too long to get started in engaging in doing some basic fastening. Also, you want to remember that even though it's easy uh, and possible for you to gain the skill of fastening without much experience, each stone that you come across will bring a unique set of challenges. So the case. The case is is that the process is ever-evolving and you will always be learning something new. Now carving. Carving can be very challenging too. Um, and most people don't really do it. There's very few experts. Um, it's hard to excel in this. It kind of is a natural knack. But there are ways of learning the basics and moving on from that. Um, I had a friend that carved pretty well. I had a couple friends that could carve pretty decent. And uh, they started off basic things like a leaf. So unlike faceting, um, you need a distinct sense of art to learn this technique. More so, you really need to learn and understand the methods of lapidary lapidary art in order to learn carving. This isn't something you can just teach yourself. You'll need the help of a professional to learn it, maybe even go through a proper course if you want to become a pro at it. There are a few different types of lapidary art. Probably the most common type of carving carving lapidary art is the cameo this technique the carver usually takes seashells or agates cuts them into different types of artwork but they're not just limited to these materials it may you may use materials um, of whatever's available as well so carvings often used while creating a cabajon as well a lot of times these carvings aren't meant to be used in jewelry they might be designed just to be a simple piece of carving used for decorative purposes So lapidary art is a beautiful technique, but fortunately, unfortunately rather, it's at the verge of becoming a forgotten art form. That's why it's necessary for people to take more interest in these to preserve the beautiful technique of art that has been gifted to us by our forefathers and our grandfathers. The good thing is it's extremely easy to engage in lapidary art. There's a lot of people out there willing to help you make it your own hobby. It's a great activity for families to enjoy together. You'll always end up with some great-looking souvenir. Now, my kids, um, I have a grown son. He's 30 years old. He loved making things. He loved making spheres. He loved cutting geodes. Now, I have kind of started and over again. I have two kids. I've got a 5-year-old and a 7-year-old, and they absolutely love working on lapidary. Um, they're not good enough to do cabs yet, but they love geodes and they love grinding on stones. They love cutting. They love rock hunting. It's such a wonderful time with them. And my kids are like sharks. They can't sit still. They can't do anything for more than a few minutes. But when we are on that flat lap, as boring as you would think that would be sitting there for a couple hours, grinding a stone, my kids will do it to see the reward of a polished stone. It's just amazing how much patience they will have for the reward of having that gemstone all polished and perfect. It's really um, amazing. You can induce your friends to this, help them learn something new. Pass on this lapidary if you're already an experienced lapidary person. That's what I do. That's what Radical Rocks is about. We're about educating people. We're about keeping rock hounding alive. There's all kinds of uh, clubs that have many people that are glad to teach you Um, and the memberships to these clubs are so cheap here in America, 25 to 30 bucks a year per person, usually better rates for families. Usually you can use a shop anywhere from five to $10 a night, um, is what I've seen. You have to check your areas locally and see there's just no downside to this great hobby except your whole backyard is going to get filled up with rocks (laughs) if you go rock hunting so please check out all our guides and uh, tools that we have listed on this blog at radicalrocksusa.blogspot.com i have several links for rocks on lapidary um, field guides um, basic tools and kits and even if you um, just look at our social media links are all here for our LinkedIn, our YouTube channel, we do have some videos. Our Facebook, um, we got a great group, group there, Radical Rocks group. We have over twelve hundred people, and just support our blogs and podcasts and all that, and pass it on and share it. It will help us to keep rock hounding alive because we do um, we do donate part of these proceeds to organizations that are helping keeping rock hounding alive by educating our young children in schools opening their shops to the communities, um, putting on shows and displays, and also our long-term goal is to actually keep areas open in the U.S. open for rockhound collecting for our members and our big rockhound family. Okay, so remember, rockhounds don't die, they petrify.